Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Moving Thought Podcast, a podcast for movers and thinkers. I'm happy to be releasing this latest episode right before the Christmas holiday so that many of you who may be traveling might be able to enjoy this in the car, on the airplane, or otherwise in transit. And I couldn't think of a guest more perfect to have on the show before the holidays than one of my favorite people, Miss Anita Lane. Anita is a breakthrough life coach and her work centers around getting people unstuck. We've all been there before. We feel like we're doing absolutely everything right, but for some reason it just doesn't give and things don't go our way. That's where Anita comes in. She helps people to dive deep below the surface to see what unconscious programming is truly holding you back. Not only is she an amazing coach, but she has an incredible story. She has overcome a lot from losing a husband with two small children to overcoming breast cancer to finding her calling in life and starting her own business. So she has a lot to share and this one is not to be missed. We're just not designed to suffer. I do not believe that we're here to suffer. And if you can shortcut your suffering uh, and still get the the lesson and still get the grace from it, because that's why you have that experience, right? But without so much being stuck in it, struggling with it, suffering with it, um, you're going to have a much better life. Before we get into the show, I want to take a moment to thank all of you that are tuning in. If you enjoy this podcast, then please share it. Pass it on to a friend that would also enjoy listening to it. And be sure to leave a positive rating and review in iTunes. We only make these episodes for your enjoyment and consumption. And the more you share it, the more we can continue to do it. So thank you for tuning in. And I hope you find inspiration in these conversations. Today's episode will surely not disappoint. So without any further ado, here is Breakthrough Life Coach Anita Lane. ready i'm ready cool well uh it's just recording and then we'll get started thanks for taking time yeah thanks Appreciate for having you me being here yeah i'm excited uh, i'm excited as well this is something that we've talked about for a while i'm really looking forward to it um because i think you have such a cool and interesting story and just you know working with you personally and spending time with you um i really appreciate what you do for people and that kind of place that you um go to and create for people to kind of help themselves change and and move on. I think an interesting place for us to start today would just be kind of let people know of your background, how you uh, got into this world of coaching um, and how it kind of manifested itself in your life. So what was the story um, behind you becoming a coach? So I tell people you often don't Um, see your greatest strengths because they're so easy and natural for you. Mm -hmm. So you discount them. So often you're not, it's not until you're in your forties or fifties that you really step into your power and claim the things that are your innate gifts. And that's the case for me. I, my whole life and certainly through college and all the years before I started coaching, people would always come up to me and tell me their heartbreak and tell me their pain and tell me their child abuse story. And and I used to think, wow, why do people always come tell me? Like, even people I didn't know would just come up and reveal something that I'm like, I know they're not out talking about this to everybody. <laughs> so I just kind of unconsciously probably made a note of that. Uh-huh. And then I went through, luckily I had a really good childhood, but I, I went through getting my butt kicked a lot as an adult decades of really struggling, some suffering, uh, definitely a lot of stuck, you know. And so my passion was 
how can I help? How can I help myself and how can I help other people get unstuck and move in the direction that they want to move? I had never had a career that I really liked. Every job I ever had after two years, I was bored out of my mind or totally disempowered or I would get laid off or fired. I even got fired a few times. Mm -hmm. So I was like, am I ever going to like have a grown up adult job that lasts for a while, you know? And, um, so I, I, um, was a widow and had two small children and then I remarried in 2008 and like four months after I remarried, I got laid off. And I thought, this is perfect. I'm just going to take a year, collect unemployment, look for a job just to meet the criteria, mm-hmm. but figure out what is it that I want. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to just let everything settle down and not do anything for a while and see what comes out of that. So I did that for a year. Then I went to work for a holistic wellness chiropractic doctor and worked in his office for a year. He knew I was looking for my next thing. And um, I thought, this is just a good environment for me to hang out in because I I knew I was passionate about alternative medicine and healing and that kind of thing. So in that period, I um, was just looking around and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I decided after a year, I'm going to go to coaching school. And I remember he was like, coaching school? I know he thought, like, you're going to do Reiki or you know, some, some kind of energy healing or something. And I was like, no, I just think that I want to see how I can use communication to help people heal. Cause I think people can heal through communication. So I went and did the certification. It was like a 10 month long certification and I loved it, but I knew this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much out there that I want to add. So I felt like that was kind of my base. And then I went looking for some tools to put in my tool kit to use with people. So I apprenticed with a healer in town and realized I don't have any of those gifts of seeing things or feeling energy like Reiki people feel. I don't have any of those talents. So I was kind of a flop at, at the yeah. working with the healer. But what I did realize is that I'm clairaudient. And clairaudient just means that you have an auditory connection to a power greater than you that gives you information. So I'm not psychic, but I do, when I'm working with people, I hear like the deepest core of really what they're saying and what the story is. So it's kind of like, you know, if you have a garden and you have weeds, you're not going to go out and clip the top of the weeds and say, yeah, I got rid of all the weeds. You got to get to the root, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like one of my gifts is hearing the real root of what someone is stuck or struggling or suffering from. So then I went and got um, checked out Theta Healing because I had heard about that and I really liked that. And then when I added that in, magic started happening, like far beyond anything I could have like taken credit for. But between the coaching and the intuitive work that I do and the muscle testing and the Theta Healing, people started reporting back, wow, and that one session, I cleared something. I've been in therapy for 20 years. And so that's pretty much how I got started. And since then, in the last, you know, eight and a half, nine years, I've just been refining my technique and, and uh, working to get my message aligned with what I feel like it is that I do, because it's so different mm-hmm. than 
traditional therapy or even traditional coaching. Yeah. And I mean, you spent so much time kind of uh, in that stuck mode and really questioning, why is this not working? Right. What is it that I'm getting incorrect about the situation, trying to figure things out? Mm-hmm. When you had the thought of coaching, uh, was it an immediate thing where you're like, oh, yes, this is a path? Or was there some of that doubt going into it? There was still some doubt. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of like I felt like I got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I, I knew that you didn't have to be certified to be a coach. And I knew I could go do, you know, one or two weekends somewhere and be a coach. But I really wanted the real legitimacy of the designation, but also one of the best company, you know, training companies out there. And I needed that for my self-esteem, really. Right. I mean, I really kind of did it selfishly because I needed the credentials and the, yes, you're a coach and yes, you're a good coach. And, you know, the trainers approve of you and you've passed the test. And I needed that really to really feel like I could hang my shingle out there and say, I can help you with this. Yeah. So it sounds like something that almost was pulling you in, pulling Mm -hmm. you in, pulling Mm -hmm. you in. Yeah. Uh, At what point did you just kind of let it go and just accept that this was something you're going to really go down? Um, Probably when I signed up. Because yep. it was like ten thousand, twelve thousand dollars or something. Oh, so sure. you know, when you have a lot of skin in the game, <laughs> you're in. So yeah. that was my moment of uh, commitment. Uh, how old were you at that time? So that was in. Um, so I was probably forty-seven. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, you know now you might describe this as something that you were meant to do, something right. that this is right. like your dharma. This is right. what you were meant to find in life. Exactly. Um, um, how do you reconcile all that time that was spent beforehand, where you were just kind of wandering around trying to figure it out? Yeah, it, those were such hard years because I grew up in a family of four girls. Everybody else hit their stride early, went to college and then did their careers and were successful and went up the chain and went up the ladder and had 401ks and all these things that I was like a late bloomer for. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that that was just, I think it was a couple things. One, I was raising children Mm -hmm. and um, it took so much of my energy. I don't know that I could have done this work this creative work and launching the, the business and, and really building it with small children and needing a steady income from day one. Mm-hmm. Like I needed to really trade time for a paycheck for a long time. Um, but I also think that it takes a while to be wise. Yeah. And if you're talking about guiding and leading people and helping them through their dark night of the soul, you need to have gone through a dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. You need to have struggled. You need to have um, humility and compassion. And I think if there's two things that I have in spades, it's humility and compassion. And I hear that all the time from people. And um, I'm grateful that I have that. And I don't think I had that before. Yeah. So it took a long time to kind of cultivate, maybe even just realize and appreciate. Right. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's something that's interesting to me because I think uh, we were talking about this slightly before we started recording how much um, there's this resurgence of people uh, really appreciating their mental states, their physical states, um, the health and vitality 
of their bodies, mm-hmm. uh, maybe more so than their careers or their bank accounts, um, and how much there's this new emphasis being put on it. And with that, you have this emergence of uh, all these coaching services and people who provide um, these paths as uh, they provide um, this service as a guide. Um, but one thing I see, there's a lot of people that seem to be coaches uh, or are coming into coaches. A lot of people that are very young that I see who are trying to coach other people. And I become a little bit skeptical just because I don't, you know, I think there's something to be said about having gone through things and having uh, experienced a very full life beforehand. Uh, what do you, how do you see, you know, kind of coaching as a whole these days, the role of a coach and um, kind of some of the practitioners that are out there? Well, the whole term coach comes from the uh, the word like coach that would take you in the old days before you had automobiles mm-hmm. that you would climb in the coach yeah. and the coach would take you from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And that's really what coaching is meant to do. It's meant to take you from where you are to where you want to be in the shortest, you know, most efficient possible way to get there. Okay. So, you know, I think people that are coaching, um, you know, if you're young, but you're coaching about technology or money or something that you have a lot of skill with, I think that that's great. But if you're talking about wanting a coach that has, that can help you through really, really deep, dark transformation, you might need somebody that has more years of experience and maybe has experienced that themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what role has coaching played in your own life? Well, I have several coaches, mm-hmm. and I'm always getting coached in one method or another. Um, I would say that I, I felt like my mother and my friends uh, coached me through those periods that were really, really tough. That was before I really realized, oh, you hire a coach. Yeah. And there were many of those periods that I wouldn't have had money to hire a coach. So that wouldn't have even been a possibility. I could have paid $20 copay and go to a therapist, which I did a mm. lot, but I wouldn't have necessarily had the money during many of those periods to really work with a coach, which is sad because I think it probably could have helped me shift out of some of that quicker. Yeah. But um, I'm a believer in coaching. You know, I, I, I tell people the distinction between therapy and coaching is therapy takes a look at your life today and what you're struggling with or what you want, and then they look back. So what is it, you know, about your history or your childhood or whatever? And a lot of times it includes diagnoses and things like that. So uh, coaching is very different in that I'm not going to diagnose anybody. I'm not doing therapy. I'm not providing counseling of any kind. I'm just helping you identify what you really want, what's in your way, and how you can get out of your own way and get to where you want to get. So it's very forward-focused. We do look a little bit at, you know, what could have set up your beliefs, your core beliefs that are helping participate in your struggle right now, but we're not looking back to create a diagnosis or some kind of um, therapy that um, isn't really designed to help you move forward so much. Right. So you are, you're there to help people look into the future um, and figure out how do we go from being stuck or how do we go from figuring out this one problem to overcoming that. Right. Right. And a lot of people will say, I know better, 
and I know that it's possible and I want it different, but it's like Groundhog Day. You know, I wake up and it's a new year and it's the same problem. And even though it looks like my behaviors are changing and it looks like I'm trying to do all the things right and often you have switched your actions, but if your core belief is still programmed to deliver and to believe what you're experiencing, you're still going to experience that. I don't care how many activities or actions you change. If that's predominant in your life and in your unconscious mind, you're going to keep receiving that. Right. Um, And so how do you explain that process? How do you explain the process of uh, somebody who's able to break through that? What's happening? Why, Why can, why does, why is it that they're able to figure out this thing that they haven't been able to figure out for such a long time? Well, I mean, I think some people in a moment can experience a transformation. You go to a Tony Robbins event and there's so much energy and everything is designed to help people really get clear and move forward and it's intense. You can experience a a deep healing or a deep change in an event like that or even in therapy or but it's just not always something that you can say okay this is how I sabotage myself Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go to this workshop and I'm going to work through that because you may work through that with your conscious mind and be really clear about it But if the unconscious mind, which controls 90% of everything that you see, feel, perceive, experience, believe, is still programmed for that sabotage, unless something really dramatic crosses your path, that may not change. Mm -hmm. So a big life event can create a transformation and a big change. Sure. Um, A really painful dark night of the soul where you're on your knees, you know, crying and pleading for something to change can create that kind of thing. Yeah. I just say people probably don't always want to get to that point, <laughs> you know, right. and you don't want to, you know, you don't want it to be a slow transformation. I tell people find the fastest way you can transform and go that route because otherwise you're wasting months, years, decades doing the same thing over and over again or experiencing minimal shifts and minimal change versus a dramatic, you know, earth-shattering change. Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that I like about that is I feel as though sometimes um, it's a good part of the story and the narrative for a lot of people because the stories that we tell ourselves, similar to our beliefs, are um, kind of part of that programming, the way that we describe uh, how we got here and how we're going to get there mm-hmm. uh, becomes such a integral part of who we think we are. So I like that approach because oftentimes it's nice to be able to um, kind of uh, linchpin with a big event and say, like, this was the thing, as opposed to, oh, I just changed slightly over time. Right, right. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Anita, tell me what you think about the mind and how you rationalize what's happening with our, our daily thoughts and kind of how that controls our behavior. So from the work that I do and the research that I've done, um, we have uh, three levels of the mind. That's, that's the, the work, premise of the work that I do. One's the conscious part of the mind, which if you, I use the analogy of the iceberg. So mm-hmm. if the conscious part of the mind is the tip of the iceberg. That's the part above the water. Okay. So I tell people that's the adult part of your mind. That's the logical, rational, left brain, mature side of you. Okay. The challenge is it only runs five to 10%. 
So it's very clear, very, it's going to always tell you the right thing to do. And it's going to be very mature and adult, but it is not, it's not the enough power to get you there. Mm-hmm. It's like your, um, um, it's like the compass. Right. Okay. You need to go in this direction now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the subconscious mind, the part right below the water in the iceberg, which is the biggest part, is to me, for the work that I do, where all the information is stored. So all the data, everything you've ever learned in your whole life is stored in the subconscious part of the mind. So another analogy that's kind of helps understand you know, the parts of the mind is the computer. So if mm-hmm. my mind is a computer, my desktop is my conscious mind. Mm-hmm. I would never look at my desktop and say, no, call and see. Here's my desktop. I don't have that program. Yeah. <laughs> look, here's my computer. You show me where that program is, right? right. Or that virus or that, you know, inf- that file, okay? Uh, if my mind is a computer, the subconscious part of my mind is Google or Finder. If I know something about it, I can retrieve that information and use it. Mm-hmm. So I can pull it from the subconscious file in cabinet and pull it up to my conscious mind. Then it's, it's on my desktop, right? And I can use it and it's easy to find. Okay. The biggest part that I work with that creates pretty much often instant change is the unconscious part of the mind. And the unconscious part of the mind would be the coding and the programming of your computer. Okay. The challenge with that is it was your zero to seven year old self that coded your computer. Okay. So if you had a fabulous childhood and really super conscious, awesome parents, you have a lot of really good programming in your filing cabinet in the unconscious part of your mind. But even with the best scenario, you're going to have limiting beliefs. I worked with a guy the other day and, um, I was like, what happened when you were two? You know, he's like, nothing happened when I was two. He had fabulous childhood. Mm -hmm. And I said, did you have a little brother born? He goes, yeah, my little brother was born when I was two. I said, can you imagine what your two year old self felt when mom leaves and comes home with a new baby boy? Can you see how that might make you feel like you've been replaced or they didn't think you were enough or whatever? So even something as beautiful and innocent as becoming a big brother, big sister can create this part of us that's like, oh, they were disappointed in me. So they went to the store and got another baby. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Buyer's remorse. (laughs) Buyer's remorse. We gave you two years and you just didn't pull through. So we're going to try it all on a new one, right? So um, anyway, um, the unconscious part of the mind is programmed in the first seven years of your life. Mm-hmm. Because your brain is predominantly in an alpha and a theta brainwave state during those years. Okay, so that's when the, you know, the back of the computer is open and you're able to really be in there and do a lot of programming. The challenge is your perceptions and your experiences and, and your wisdom at zero to seven is not going to be the same wisdom that you have at 27, 37, 47, 87, right? Mm-hmm. But if nothing changes that programming after age seven, then you go to your grave with that same programming. Right. Okay. So um, you want to get in there and do updates. You know, I tell people you update your appliances, you update your car, you update your wardrobe, you update your hair color, you update your computer, but we almost never go and update our mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if you don't update your mind, you're going to have Groundhog Day for the rest of your life because you're going to just keep repeating to some degree or another, the same thing from the year before and the decade before. 
Sure. So the conscious mind is kind of where we see everything. The subconscious mind is sort of where we store everything. Uh-huh. But the unconscious mind, which is where you tap in, is kind of... Um, it's automatic we, pilot. Exactly. It's how we ma- navigate everything. And, right. Um, you know, how we make sense of all that information. Right. Uh, and you believe that we can access that. Yeah, I see it every day. Yeah. And there's there's therapies out there that, you know, EMDR can mm-hmm. do that. EFT can do that. Um uh, NET can can re- all these things are designed to tap into the back end of the mind, the back end of the, your computer, and create change, physical yeah. change, emotional change, mental change, financial change, relationship change. Um, I just use the process that I use because it has worked great for me. But there are, sure. I mean, this is the new frontier. This is what this is where we're headed, and this yeah. is what people are really experiencing now. Well, it makes sense. And I've worked with you. I've experienced it. Um, these, these changes in, in thought patterns. And it's one of these things where uh, it's a little difficult because it's kind of hard, even if you are watching your thoughts and paying attention to them, even as you're doing that, it's still uh, difficult because the, you know, some of the things that you'll bear out in these, in these conversations and in these um coaching sessions it, they don't seem logical you know the, no. the programming isn't rational no. and it's not based on any type of wisdom necessarily no. no or truth right it's to me that part of our mind is this is the two-year-old having a temper tantrum in the walmart you know toy mm-hmm. section okay um it's not about anything that you can rationalize or make sense and the more you rationalize the more that part of us gets really dug in and really protective because the the mind is designed that it doesn't like change. And sure. when I, even when I work with people, we have to find ways to bypass, you know, this conscious mind because and the unconscious mind because it's programmed to not experience change. And that's because, you know, as early early humans, the part of our brain, the amygdala, was designed to keep us alive. Mm-hmm. And yet now that we're in 2018, almost 2019, we still have that part of our brain that says, Colin, keep doing what you've been doing. Keep, you know, if you're an alcoholic, keep drinking. If you're, you know, in an abusive relationship, don't leave the person, right? It's going to tell you to keep doing what you've always been doing because it knows that you can survive that. Right. And so it wants you to just survive. It's designed to keep you surviving, not thriving. Mm-hmm. So it knows that if even these really painful things or self-sabotaging things that you don't want, you don't like, it's not going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Now, it may over time. But, <laughs> yeah. but the mind feels like it's helping you stay alive by keeping you doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. And that, there's something profound in that, too, because it's the sense that... Um, the things that your mind is telling you to do continuously, even if they're detrimental, in the moment your mind is convincing you that this is how you continue on and you survive, but it almost seems that there's um, something to be said about facing the possibility of uh, overcoming that fear of death or that fear of failure um, and how much that is where change lies, mm-hmm. is overcoming that and then going to Absolutely. the other side, stepping out of the comfort right. that you already have right, and then moving into that. Yeah. And, you know, that's probably like you, you hear about people that have had a near-death experience mm. and they go on to live amazing lives, you know, really peaceful, really, you know, like 
Like they don't live with that kind of fear anymore. So that's like the death of the ego, you know, Uh, because the ego thinks that you got to keep doing these things to stay alive. But when you've transcended that through some, you know, really huge impactful thing in your life or near death experience or some really painful period that you overcome, you realize Wow, that voice in my head's been lying to me mm-hmm. this whole time. That's just BS. Then you can yeah. overcome it. Right. And I imagine, too, once you've experienced that once, it's easier to experience it again. Right. Because you know that that's your mind doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But it's not. But the adult part of you, the higher self part of you, gets to say thank you. Right. But no thank you. Yes. We're going <laughs> to do it this way. You know, that's my two-year-old self telling me uh-huh. that I have to buy that toy so that, you know, you I won't have to deal with a temper tantrum toddler, right? Mm-hmm. But you know that your mind is has limitations and that you can't totally trust your thoughts and the little voices that you hear in your head. Right. Uh, the near-death experiencing is interesting. I've, I don't know why, but I've heard it multiple times in the past few weeks about um, people who try to commit suicide off of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Um, I believe they jump off the bridge into water. Right. And it's something like, I don't think it's, it's not 110. I think it's maybe like one in a hundred. There's a handful out of a hundred people that usually survive. And when they do survive, they're unscathed. Um, the interesting thing is that all the people that, that has happened to, and they've come back, uh, they don't want to kill themselves anymore. Right. They've, they've experienced. It's over. That depression's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and something happens in, in that moment of facing their, their, right. their, their death ultimately right. when they come back and they don't want to, they don't right. want to die anymore. Yeah. I just tell people there's better ways. Yeah. <laughs> there's <laughs> easier ways. Yeah. You that know, one doesn't that water's really cold. Right. There's some sharks down there. Yeah. It's painful entry into the water. There's easier ways, but yeah, yeah whatever it takes, it takes whatever it takes. Right. And right. you know, I think you transcend that suffering and that ego, um, domination of pain and limitation that it keeps us locked in mm-hmm. and you step into grace. Yeah. So those people on the other side of that experience have grace and they get to live the rest of their life with that. Right. Um, you had your own sort of run-ins, your own sort of uh, face with mortality. You were diagnosed with breast cancer mm-hmm. and you went through treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's, that was a significant point in your life, and you even do coaching now with other women that are dealing with breast cancer. Um, what happened? How, how did you find out? When did it... Uh, I was diagnosed in March of 2016, and um, I had found the lump in January. So, you know, I knew there was a lump there. We just didn't know what it was. And I had found a lump the year before that that was... That was not malignant. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, um, I don't know. I mean, that that wasn't, you know, a super easy ride, but it wasn't by any stretch of the imagination the hardest things I've been through. Um, but one thing that any kind of medical diagnosis um, or life-threatening diagnosis does for you is it's like metaphorically jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. You know, you realize... Okay, something has to change because I don't want to live the rest of my life with this haunting me that is going to come back. So it makes you, hopefully, if you're healthy, it makes you really step into loving and caring for yourself Mm -hmm. to a level that you probably didn't do before. 
saying no to, you know, relationships that create stress, saying no to, you know, just working yourself into the ground for a bigger paycheck. It, it's a, it's really a blessing, actually. Breast cancer was a blessing for me. And I think it is for anybody that's willing to get to the other side of the, the trauma or the illness or whatever they're faced with. If you just don't stop in the middle and right. give up, if you can get to the other end of it, there is so much blessing and, grati- and gratitude and grace that's waiting for you. Yeah. But it doesn't come get you. You have to keep the walking the walk till you get there. So it sounds like when you have one of those life-threatening illnesses or something of that magnitude hits you, it's not simply surviving it, but also um, trying to dig in a little deeper into what what were the lessons that came out of that, right. how am I different, right. what value was there. Yeah, what created this environment for illness mm-hmm. in my body? And, you know, I work with people that have... Um, you know, we can work on emotional things, mental things, but a lot of people come to me to work on physical things because there is always emotional components driving a physical illness sure. or an injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing is meaningless. There's meaning to all of it. So I have books that tell me what are all the core beliefs that people with this illness or this, you know, struggle or whatever, physical struggle And we work to clear all of those for the person. So breast cancer is linked to not enough Mm. self-nurturing. Breasts are designed to nurse babies and help them thrive. But if you are spending your whole life emotionally nursing the world, you're depleted. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, typically women that have had breast cancer, there's some level of self-neglect physically, emotionally neglecting, um, you know, giving up yourself too much for other people. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you find that that's pretty typical of women that you've met that have gone through breast cancer and Mm -hmm. or other cancers? Yeah. I work with people that have had other cancers too, Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, just any kind of illness. You can have diabetes and there's emotional, mental programs that support that. Yeah. You can have, um, um, you know, an ingrown toenail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't had that one yet, but you know, there's always an emotional component to everything. So sure. I don't ever tell somebody, Hey, I can help you heal that. I don't know what can be done, but I do know that when you get emotionally healthier, it can only help you be better and stronger. Mm-hmm. So even though I went through all the traditional treatments for, uh, for breast cancer, chemo, radiation, surgery, all that, I didn't suffer. And I think I didn't suffer uh, because I was doing a lot of emotional work the whole way. Right. Yeah. And that's something I keep hearing about your story as well, is that you were able to go through treatments uh, with a lot of grace and mm-hmm. with um, a lot of appreciation of the process and you recovered very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still kind of cleaning up some leftover things that that's, you know, it is harsh on the body, but you know, I, like I said, I've been through things that were much worse than that. And sometimes I think emotional suffering is worse than physical suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know what else to say about that other than we're just not designed to suffer. I do not believe that we're here to suffer. Mm -hmm. And if you can shortcut your suffering, 
uh, and still get the, the lesson yeah. and still get the grace from it because that's why you have that experience, right? But without so much being stuck in it, struggling with it, suffering with it, um, you're going to have a much better life. That's so interesting. Uh, maybe you and I will have to have a separate conversation about that sometime because I have always tried to grapple with this idea that life is suffering. Yeah. Um, so does and- that, do you... Not have you probably oh, experienced make, some suffering? Doesn't make me feel great, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Okay, it's yeah, almost a complacency with it, right? Well, it's just the reality, mm-hmm. and you know, there's probably a voice that tells you, Colin, come on, this is just the way it's going to be, man up, right? Right, <laughs> yeah, this is as good as it gets, quit whining, mm-hmm. yeah, this is what it is, so learn to accept it how right. it is now, right. Uh, so, I mean, for someone like myself, you know, in that situation, how do you uh, dig down below that and kind of uproot that weed? Well, um, that's where intuitiveness helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also do muscle testing. So your body has an innate communication method that we can communicate with. And uh, it's also called applied kinesiology by doctors that are chiropractic doctors and naturopaths and um, osteopathic doctors. They've used this technique for 90 plus years. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of communicating with the whole of you. So kind of the wisest part of you. Some of my clients say it's like a built-in lie detector test, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's a way that we can, you know, I think Colin just told me this. So I'm hearing that he's got this belief, this belief, this belief, this belief. Then we muscle test. Mm-hmm. And we dive, we dig down to the exact coding the exact wording of that belief and once we uncover it you're going to be like well I don't want to believe that (laughs) right and then it's well what do you want to believe so once we know what you don't believe that would help you and what you do believe that's holding you back then we clear the one that's holding you back, the negative one, and we download the one that would help you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like having an old Excel program on your computer, but you're trying to do 2018, you know, worksheets, but you're using a 20-year-old, I don't even know if they had Excel 20 yeah. years ago, but 20-year-old program, right? It's sure. not going to get you there. Right. But if you update, you're going to have a, a up-to-date Excel spread uh, program, and you can do spreadsheets like the pros. Right, exactly. So it's a matter of just keeping yourself up-to-date and always kind of, I guess this is an ongoing process, right, of always kind of looking in, seeing if there's, you know, some some type of virus maybe that got yeah. snuck in, yeah. or uh, just continually making sure along the way. Well, I mean, I have people that I work with once mm-hmm. or twice, yeah, and then... They're either happy with that or that's good enough or, you know, they got what they came for. Right. Um, And then I have some people that we work to get them out of stuck and struggle and get them into thriving. And then they're like, well, I don't ever want to get stuck again for a year or a decade and then go, well, I guess I should go work on this because I've been stuck for a year or a decade Mm -hmm. doing this. And they may come every month or every six weeks or every eight weeks or four times a year just to stay kind of on top of it. Kind of like if you go to the chiropractor and you've got a bad neck and he works to get your neck straightened out. And then you're like, bye, see ya. You know, you probably would want to go back every once in a while to just stay on top of it for maintenance. Sure. But I let people decide. It's all about what they want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I mean, this has been great so far. I, I... 
love the way that you explain things because I think it's very easy for people to to grasp these ideas and you have such a um, such a handle on kind of how you explain your own practice and your own theory of the mind and how that interplays to how we manifest things in our life. Uh, we're almost running out of time, but before you go, I always ask a similar question to people, which is if you were to give people, you know, two or three pieces of advice, um, very actionable things they could start doing tomorrow just to enjoy their life a little more, um, to feel a little better, be a little happier. Uh, what would you tell people to do? I think I would tell people two things. One is start taking five to 10 minutes a day. And I would, I hate to use the word meditate because if you're not meditating, it probably means you're resistant to meditating, but five to 10 minutes of listening to something that puts you in a good, makes you feel good. Like Mm -hmm. you got to put good stuff in, you know, it's like mental nutrition. Right. Um, And there's, you don't have to sign up. You don't have to go to a class. It's like there's YouTube videos and there's audios and there's recorded guided visualization. There is so much out there. You would never have to pay a dime for that. Right. The next thing that I think is something that people can do is EFT, which is emotional freedom technique. And there's tons of videos on how to do that, but it's called the tapping. Hmm. And it's uh, you tap certain meridian points uh, on your face and head and um, hand and uh, neck area. And those are meridians that when you're saying the thing that is causing you pain, it's releasing it. So it's actually a, a modality that's been that they found in working with soldiers that had severe PTSD. Oh, wow. It's very profound. And it's something you can do all on your own, anytime you want. If I want to, let's say it's starting the new year and I'm like, I really want prosperity this year. I've never been able to create prosperity at the level I want. Then I'm going to Google, you know, tapping for prosperity and I'm going to have tons and tons of videos and once a day, I'm going to try to do one of those tapping videos. I mean, we're talking five to 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I think those are two great takeaways for people that they can use right now that are techniques available that, um, don't cost a dime. Yeah. Um, and so the EFT that's using the Meridian system. So that's coming from more of a Eastern perspective, right? I mean, it's not really from the Eastern perspective so much, but it is the acupuncture meridian points. And I guess they developed that like about 3,000 years ago, right, when they developed mm-hmm. acupuncture. But this is not necessarily Chinese medicine right. that's doing that, but it is the wisdom from those meridian points. Very interesting. Um, yeah, that's great. And I think I love those because they are something that you could do right now. Right now. You could shut this off and hop on uh, YouTube and take five, ten minutes. Exactly. And uh, it doesn't have to be much more than that. Five, ten minutes a day just to remind yourself that you're important. Right, yeah. And that your well-being is important. Yeah, think how many people want to lose weight. Right. You know, start tapping it. Sure. Um, So, Anita, where can people find you? How can they contact you? So my website's anitacoaching.com, Mm -hmm. and um, my email's anita at anitacoaching.com, and I see clients in the Westlake area at two different locations. I also offer uh, Skype or Zoom sessions for people that don't want to travel or are out of state. Um, So yeah, 
that's how you can reach me. That's excellent. And uh, I'll have a link to all that stuff in the description uh, when I post this. Um, Anita, thank you so much for your time You're today. Welcome. Thank you for your wisdom. Yeah, I appreciate thanks, this. Colin. And I will see you soon. I'll see you soon. Thank you, Anita, for spending some time to sit down with us. And I hope that everyone that was listening in found that as enlightening as I did. If you are in the Austin area or not, and you want to uh, contact Anita, work with her, make sure that you check her out at anitacoaching.com. If you're feeling stuck, I encourage you to look her up. I also want to thank you all once again for tuning into this program. If you want to know more about my own business and work here in Austin, Texas, uh, as well as to discover the rest of the episodes of the Moving Thought Podcast, please go to grasshopperstrength.com. That's my own personal website, and you can find everything there. While there, be sure to sign up for my private coaching list where I send out a weekly email where I try to ask some difficult questions, try to answer some difficult questions, and I try to provoke people in a way that might just change your own personal philosophy towards health and wellness. So thank you once again for tuning in. Happy holidays to everyone. Safe travels if you are moving around this holiday season. I hope you guys enjoy some time off from work. I hope you guys enjoy some time to relax and see some family. But I hope you just enjoy some time for yourselves as well. So again, happy holidays and have a new or a wonderful new year, everybody. We will see you in 2019. Cheers.